Hello, Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. Hello, my dove. Hello, dear. How do you know that a farmer is great? I don't know. How? Because he's out standing in his fields. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. Thanks. I forgot about that one. That's a, an oldie but a goodie. I like that joke. I should have done that before the show started. I mean, yeah, but... Now it's there. You get it, everybody. We're talking about community gardens. We are. I'm a gardener. Do you know that? You are. I like sort to garden. Of. What? I mean, what do you mean, sort of? Well, so... I plant plants. You do plant plants. We We haven't gotten many fruits of your labor. We have eaten strawberries that I grew. We have eaten herbs that I've grown. We uh, have eaten tomatoes that I've grown, and I grow a lot of flowers. Okay, you grow a lot of flowers. A lot of those things that we have eaten are in the single digits. Okay, madam. I didn't realize that I was on trial here. You continue to expand your knowledge and your beds every year. The problem that I did last year was I I had I have two raised beds mm-hmm. and I tried to fill it with like everything I wanted to grow. This year I've narrowed it down. I got squash in like three pots that I did seedlings in. I have carrots in three pots. I got tomatoes in four. And then what else is in there? Some peppers. And then I got sunflowers, but those are going somewhere else, right? And then all the flowers are in the front. I've limited it so Listen, I can baby, focus I'm, in. I'm not trying to put you on blast. I'm I know, just... but I want the people at home to have respect for me for once. <laughs> the The problem is we have spent a lot of time in the last five years raising people and not— That kind of sounds like zombies for a second. I don't think that's what you're going for, <laughs> but— And not raising plants. But we'll, we can get there. This is why I like bulbs. Bulbs are a perfect ADHD gardener's dream because it's like, you know what? Right now in this moment, I'm very focused on doing this thing. And then it's like, oh, I forgot. People ask me, like, what did you plant? I'm like, oh, I have no idea. Uh, I don't know. And then it's just like four months later, five months later, pff, flowers. What? So my parents had my parents had two gardens growing up, one which got only about four hours of sunlight, and the other one got like eight hours of sunlight. Oh, I forgot to talk about the plant that I'm most proud of that you cannot deny is doing great. My raspberries. Oh, totally. That's true. That thing is getting big. I'm going to have to put it in the ground somewhere. You are going to have to put it in the ground. And at this point, I would say side to side, six feet wide. Yep. Yeah. Got to do something with that. So uh, my parents, like I said, they also have a perimeter of black raspberry bushes. Um, So what we'll have to do is divide that plant and then put it along a fence line somewhere. Okay. That's the best thing to do about raspberries. Did your parents ever refer to them as blasberries? No. <laughs> no, they didn't. Because raspberries are red raspberries, right? And blasberries are black raspberries. <laughs> um, but my parents also took care of my grandparents' garden for a very long time. Um, and I think that that is both indicative of uh, the the baby boomer mentality and also it is one of those things where like you create a garden and you create a legacy sure oh isn't that what a legacy is it's planting seeds for plants you want to say something like that from hamilton right something so like that plants and seeds and seeds in a garden you won't grow who i won't eat the tomatoes <laughs> i think is the quote don't don't tell lynn you can't remember i it. think it's if i remember correctly it's planting tomatoes you don't get to eat 
That's a famous line from Hounds. Something like that. Planting flowers you won't get to eat because the deers come along and they eat. <laughs> I think that's it. Spray, the crows come spray in. Spray a little Tabasco on those. That's the line. I think it was like, put some Tabasco on your tomatoes. <laughs> Hi, I'm Lynn Manuel Miranda, gardening expert. You know, a little clove oil on that. Okay. I um so we always had more green beans than we could possibly eat. My grandparents and my mom were very good at canning things. Yeah. Um we always have, your had, mom makes a lot of jelly and jams as well. Yep. Yeah. She does not uh tend to grow her own fruit. She does mostly vegetables. Yeah. Um, but she will go to those you pick it places to get fruit. I mean, except for the black raspberries. Um blasberries. the blasberries. Thank you. Which um which you really can't get rid of. They are they are pervasive. Um and so it was always tomatoes and peppers. She did asparagus for a while. Um which are funny because if you let them go past asparagus stage, they turn into tiny trees. Yeah. What about your experience with garden? Like growing up? Yeah. Ours was always flowers in the front. And and frankly, uh, for my mom, it was much more aesthetic. So it was always annuals or annuals, the one you have to plant every year. Yeah. She would go get those like trays oh, okay, of flowers yeah. and like the black, you know, the black plastic, like almost like ice cream or ice cube trays. Uh-huh. Um, and then like have those around. And in the back, we did for a while have a very lovely large backyard. Um, and then at one point we put in a little like back room addition in their family room. And my dad, for some reason, with like the, I would say, eight foot by like 15 foot yard that was left. My dad was like, you know what we need? A cement basketball court. Because of my kids, Aww, the ballers. He had three boys. He We was... were all of age enough that he knew better at that point. It was aspirational. It was depressingly aspirational because I think when this happened Griffin was already like 12 and so he wanted somebody to to, to shoot hoops with and I think it was the neighborhood kids would come (laughs) around they used it way more but uh, so after that we never really did vegetables uh, but my grandmother did my mom's mom was very much like she had you know vegetable garden and everything nearby Um, but uh, we've grown tomatoes before me like and you to yes. some degree, I guess. Yes, <laughs> but I'm I, I'm much more into flowers because we like the like butterflies and mm-hmm. bees and birds and stuff. The problem with as before you, children, I was more into growing food. Yeah, the problem is, I think to make a significant dent in your grocery bills, you gotta like have a garden going. You can't just be like, I got these two like two foot by four foot raised beds, which is what I have. Right. Speaking of community gardening. Which I'm going to guess just from the two words is a garden run by the community. Mm, yeah. Okay, great. I nailed it. Thanks, everybody. This has been Schmanners. Join us again next week. Bye. Um, a lot of this guidance comes from the American Community Gardening, Asso- Gardening Association and a, a very lovely Smithsonian uh, magazine uh, community garden website. So it's pretty cool. I should also mention, just on community gardening, like the one reference I have for community gardens so clear in my head is the one from Bob's Burgers, where he gets a spot in the community garden. And in that sense, I think of community gardens, and maybe I'm wrong, as like, if you're in a like, you know, downtown or like more urban area where you you like live in apartment buildings or you live in like buildings that don't have yards or whatever, a community garden is like a plot of land that everyone can share because... You don't have yards and gardens and stuff at home. Oh, that's absolutely true. Um, so it can be a 
A community garden is a piece of land gardened or cultivated by a group of people, which you can do individually or collectively. Um, And so they can be done on private or public land. You can grow fruits and herbs and flowers, but mostly historically, it's vegetables. Okay. Um, And so around the world, community gardens exist in various forms, Uh, can be a neighborhood thing, right? If you live in a high rise, you can even do community gardens on balconies or rooftops and, you know, as many different styles of buildings and cities and people are different types of community gardens. Okay. We are going to um, condense community gardens into three different waves in the history of the U.S. here. Um, So with the Industrial Revolution... Uh, There was rapid urbanization, both in Europe and in North America, and the gardens were called Jardin Duvier. One more time. Jardin Jardin Duvier. 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 Yes. Okay. Workers' garden. Got it. And the second uh, wave helped the uh, during the World Wars, uh, which were part of Liberty Gardens or Victory Gardens. And then the third one happened in the 70s um, during the OPEC crisis. So, uh, and, you know, we're currently in the fourth wave of community garden hype brought on by the isolation and the uh, kind of like retreat of people into their homes. Uh, and, you know, also this second, there's like inflation and stuff that, we're, also that. that we're, we're working with. I mean, I will say like I've done flowers for a while, but the idea of like growing vegetables and like really focusing on uh, plants and gardening was in the last two years. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, recessions are actually pretty well uh, associated with Uh, community gardens, especially in the U.S., because in the 1890s, uh, the United States decided to create an extensively municipally Uh sponsored gardening program. Hey, you nailed it, though. Thank you. In Detroit, especially, which is hailed as the first city in the U.S. to do this, the mayor started it because of their recession, left many of the city's workers, uh, particularly of Polish and German descent or immigrants, uh, were unemployed and hungry. Okay. And there were multiple vacant lots to fill. Um, And so these are known as Pingree's potato patches. Okay, I like that. Also sounds like a good way, like if you want to quit eating potatoes and you're like, I'm on a patch, right? Like I got these (laughs) potato patches. Yes. So they. Hey, do you uh, want some chips? I'm trying to quit. <laughs> Potato patch. I got. I'm on. I can't. <laughs> uh, so it provided these unemployed people with plots of land on vacant city lots, seeds and tools, and instructions in three languages, which is pretty cool. Um, and also useful because, like, uh, uh, in Cincinnati, we see this a lot, too, where, like, a building will be demolished or the, uh, and a lot will sit, sit empty or something, and it will start to look gross. Yeah. Right? And you have, like, broken rocks in there or, like, you know, hunks of whatever. And so to have people, like, we're going to go through, clean it up, and plant plants in there, and it looks nice. Mm-hmm. It looks nice. And you grow food. And, and it gives you something to do. It's right. fun. 
And these gardens don't solve everything. Pringree's plan specifically could not fill all of the demand. But it was very successful in alleviating some of the hunger and poverty at the time in Detroit. Um, But it was successful enough that other cities all the way from Boston to San Francisco developed similar plans. Well, I would love to talk more about this. But first, how about a thank you note for our sponsors? Now, Teresa, this is going to feel like forever ago. Mm-hmm. But do you remember back when you used to be in the middle of the night, you're asleep, but have a great dream. And then, wah, wah, here comes one of our kids crying middle of the night, oh, needing man. a diaper change. Needing a diaper change. Right? And do you remember, like, the zombie-fine feeling of, like, is this? <laughs> it's like, oh, no, I wrapped up the pillow. And you got to do it again? <laughs> Uh, I've never wrapped up the pillow. Oh, no. Yeah, what? <laughs> what? Yeah, no. What? I've never. So this week, we want to write a thank you note to our sponsor, Coterie. So Coterie is there to help you try to get better night's sleep, right? Okay. So here's the way that they will help with that, because they make diapers that help improve sleep for parents and baby. That makes a lot of sense because I'm not wearing the diaper, but the baby is. And having a a full diaper is one of the things that wakes the kids up. Right. And Coterie has up to two times more liquid capacity and up to four times faster moisture wicking versus other brands. Their diapers are made with clothing grade material, which gives your baby a cashmere-like feel so that they're more comfortable for longer day and night. They're dermatologist tested, plus... Coterie wipes are National Eczema Association approved, so it helps reduce diaper rash as well. And they have been awarded Best Diaper and Wipes by both The Bump and Parrots.com. So right now, Coterie is partnering with our podcast to offer you 20% off your first order, plus free shipping at Coterie.com slash Schmanners. That's Coterie, spelled C-O-T-E-R-I-E dot com slash Schmanners, for 20% off and free shipping, coterie.com slash schmanners. We also want to say thank you to Bombas. Bombas's mission is simple. Make the, I don't know why I started to say that, like it was like a space, like ranger. I mean, it's a mission. That is true. It is a lot like Star Trek, our mission, right? Bombas's mission is simple. <laughs> Make the most comfortable oh, oh, okay. clothes ever. I don't, I don't know where you're going with okay. that. But. And match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. It is nice to open up that box of socks and be like, this is good for me and good for somebody else. Yeah. And sometimes you open a box of rocks and locks. <laughs> and somebody... But only Dr. Seuss gives you those. That's true. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a luxuriously cozy feel. That's true. I just ordered a bunch of pair of socks, paid my own money for them. These were not it's like true. given to me socks. These were like, I love these socks. So I got them. Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features, like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and the perfect weight. So they hang just right. I'm wearing one right now. Correct. Like it. Their underwear has a barely there feeling with seconds in support that might make you forget they're even there in a good way. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. So go to bombas.com slash schmanners and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash schmanners for 20% off. Bombas.com slash schmanners. 
Thank you so much to everyone who participated in this year's Max Fun Drive. If you're a member who wants to purchase additional patches, our annual shop is now live. The proceeds for this year's sale will be going to Trans Lifeline. Anytime is a good time to donate to Trans Lifeline, but this year it feels particularly important. Trans Lifeline is a nonprofit for the trans community by the trans community. We're grateful that with your support, we'll be able to help Trans Lifeline connect trans folks to the support and resources they need to survive and thrive. The sale will run until Friday, May 20th. Folks at the $10 monthly level and above will have access to all of the patches from the drive. We also have a special network patch starring Nutsy that all members can purchase. For more information on Trans Lifeline, visit translifeline.org. And for more information on the patches, head to MaximumFun.org slash patch sale. Hey, this is Alden Ford. And Mujan Zofagari. And we are here with all the other creators of Mission to Zix. Hello. Hello. You're not going to say our names, too? No, no. It's a no. short promo. Yeah. yeah okay. sort of speech, now, right? with the end of our fifth and final season just a few weeks away, we want to say thank you to Maximum Fun and to every single one of you who has listened to and supported Mission to Zix. Thank you. And if you haven't checked it out, well, Mission to Zix is an improvised space opera with blockbuster quality sound design, a score performed by an actual 60 orchestra and hilarious guest comedians on every episode and as our final episodes air now is the perfect time to jump on board mm-hmm. that's mission to zix zyxx on maximum fun okay so community gardens sweep in the nation that's right um so there were there were some very successful gardens they mostly tapered off around 1900. Um, But Philadelphia actually has a historical garden uh, that lasted into the 1920s, which is great. So while the, the use of gardens by adults and families started to wane, these gardens started to serve another purpose, children's gardens. Oh, okay. Um, So urban reformers began to create school gardens for children Um, because they feared that urban life would have a negative effect on them. You know, for the children, they need the green grasses to romp and roam. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, And the gardens, they hoped, would be a way to connect them with nature, teach about responsibility, and improve even their physical health. Um, They were designed specifically to promote efficiency and individual responsibility, teaching children to put in the hard work to quite literally enjoy the fruits of their labor. I see. That is also a thing, man. I When uh, growing the tomatoes last year and the strawberries last year, BB every day when she'd go outside, true. she would be like, are they ready? Can I pull the, can I do this? I'm going to eat it. Can I eat it? And I'd be like, no, that's dirt. Don't eat that. And she, it took her a while <laughs> to learn the difference. Uh, one of the advocates, the early advocates of children's gardening was Fanny Grinsom Parsons, um, and she had a very similar experience. So she said that um, simply to grow a few vegetables and flowers wasn't wasn't her aim. She wanted the garden to be used as, quote, a means to show how willing and anxious children are to work mm-hmm. and to teach them in their work some of the civic virtues such as private care of public property, economy, honesty, application of concentration, self-government, civic pride, justice, dignity of labor, and love of nature. I mean, what can't you teach a kid with a garden these days? Um, how to drive? I guess you're right. Yeah. Take that, Fanny. 
Today, many teachers still embrace gardens as a learning tool, although the motivations are a little different. Um, It's more used to promote nutrition and environmental stewardship um, and teach topics, you know, as in science and art, literature and history, and, you know, have a hands-on experience for the kids who often are, you know, watching videos or or that's what they like to do, of course, because videos are awesome, um, or, you know, sitting inside instruction. This is a way to to get children out into the world. Did, did you growing up, did you have the like uh, either in class or some other like learning type environment that like plant this seed, watch this thing? Absolutely. This Absolutely. Was it sunflowers? Because it was sunflowers for me. Because sunflowers grow like really fast and really noticeable. No, I think it was some type of bean. Some type of bean, you say? Yeah. I like the way you said that. I remember specifically where we would, we put the bean between two wet paper towels mm. and then taped it up on the window so you could kind of see the bean as it grew. Yeah. Did you, wait, now this is different from that, but did you ever do like uh, caterpillars and butterfly stuff? Mm. We Maybe. Maybe had one of those like butterfly boxes mm-hmm. where they all kind of like hang out together and the, you feed the caterpillars and stuff. I, a, I remember... Uh, because when I was younger, the the suburb I grew up in was still very much farmland, uh, raising chicks. That's okay. Can I just say butterflies are beautiful? That's way cooler. Uh, we never raised chicks, but we did do butterflies and release them to a butterfly garden. That was pretty cool. That's and nice. I bet they're still there today. Yes. Yeah. Um, so then the next wave of community gardens began to pop out around the First World War um, because, you know, People needed food, right? Um, and the U.S. entered the World War in 1917, um, and Europe was already in the midst of a food shortage. Um, and so the War Garden Commission was created uh, and called on citizens to become, quote, soldiers of the soil, planting liberty gardens or war gardens to meet some of their own domestic need for food. Sure, sure. Uh, the there was a lot garden. of branding during uh, that time. Absolutely. That's hard there was. I mean, listen, it has it all stopped, right? There's still a lot of freedom and justice talk or whatever. I just like that they were so very blatant about it then. Oh, there was there was no veiled veiled branding. It was all very on point. Yeah. Um the War Garden Commission reported there were three point five million war gardens in nineteen seventeen, uh, which produced some three hundred and fifty million dollars worth of crops. Wow. That's, I mean, that's pretty awesome. So the War Garden Commission didn't, like, collect the food and redistribute it. Yeah. They were branded as war gardens, but it w- they were community gardens. You grew the food, you ate the food. Yeah. Um, I will say, though, I mean, not to be, uh, I don't know, pessimistic about it, is that it? or, uh, I don't know, judgmental. But that's great. But it's also an indicator that I want to be like, hey, how about the government focus more on feeding people? I know you had a lot going on, guys. But that idea of like, hey, so we're going to need you guys to work on feeding yourselves. Thanks. It's just come on. Come on. Um, So then the Great Depression of the 1930s came in. That's another wave. Um, And of course, this was the time when most Americans were in need of food. Um, And so just like the vacant lot cultivation in the 1890s, sustenance gardens 
uh, in the cities especially began in the 1930s, and they were specifically created in response to the economic crisis uh, and to help meet residents' immediate need for food. Um, And then World War II, we had another one. Um, You know, it was the, at first, the government was like, meh, we don't really need to do that. But then, because they needed the kind of like morale boosting effects of what every citizen could do, right? They started again a national gardening campaign. Um, And, you know, Victory Gardens again. Here's Here's another American Girl doll. Yeah. Molly. Molly had a victory garden. Did she? She sure did. Mm. Uh, So by 1944, between 18 to 20 million families with victory gardens were providing up to 40 percent of the vegetables in America. Wow. That's I mean, it's unfathomable, really, the large scale of participation. Yeah. The, The kind of like the group organization of of victory gardens and war gardens and things like that dropped off. Well, um, also when people moved back, like we had a big move to suburbs, right? Right, exactly. And so everybody had like their own yards and lawns and stuff, right? And their own gardens. Right. So um, having your own small backyard garden was a part of the American dream. Right. The status symbol for the, for the baby boom. Um, but like everything... It's a it's very much a swinging pendulum. So by the 60s and 70s, people and or grassroots organizations came together to build uh, more community gardens that promote environmental stewardship and revitalize sort of the urban neighborhoods. That, that doesn't were, surprise me at all that that happened in yeah, the 60s and 70s. Yes, that were affected by disinvestment. Sorry, disinvestment. So like everybody moving to the suburbs, kind of made it so that the cities were more of like not a family place, mm-hmm. right? And that American dream of your your little duplex and your garden and your car and all that kind of stuff kind of squashed investment in the cities. So urban gardens were uh, were started so that everybody could have a little piece of that pie. Is that where we are now? Um, no, it, it waned again during the 80s and 90s, um, but we're back up. Oh, that was that eighties and nineties go go lifestyle. Who has time for gardenings, right? I'm I'm sowing seeds of success. Maybe I'm out here. I'm growing my stocks, baby, and then I put on cool sunglasses if you can picture it. And I've got uh, like a keyboard neckline, mm-hmm. and uh, so I look. Hey, can I tell you? I look really good. I look really cool, like a shark, like a business shark. <laughs> oh boy! I don't have time for eating vegetables. I'm chomping the competition. The competition. Hi, I'm Travis McRoy. That reminds me of another Rob's Burgers business monster. That's true. Um, okay, so today I said competition, and I feel like it didn't even <laughs> register for you. You're right. Say okay. it again. Chompetition. Yeah. Because I'm one. chomping the competition. It's chompetition. Right. Yes. Um, now, a community garden is not only a testament to community care and mutual aid. It's also almost a radical act of protest and activism. Um, so you're combining and sharing resources, which is inherently anti-capitalist, and you're actively protesting climate change by cultivating the land and bringing back native plants. Uh, there has become a, a new word that I wanted to mention, um, which is called an agrihood. 
Which okay. Agrahood. Agrahood, which centers around an edible garden with easily accessible, affordable produce, which is offered to community, uh, the community meaning the neighborhood residents. Um, and the Garden Magazine cites that this particular form of urban farm provides fresh, free produce to 2,000 households within some two square miles of the farm. That's amazing, especially if it's like in a food desert. That's incredible. Exactly. Okay. Now now we can go to some questions. Okay. <laughs> B asks, if the community garden is one that's for anyone to take from, what is the appropriate amount of food to take at one time? Um, well, it depends on your garden, right? So every community garden has their own set of like bylaws and agreements. Mm -hmm. um, if there is food that's available to take, it is usually set up on some sort of like take what you need table or stand. It's not okay. something where you can just go through. They don't say like go through the garden with your grocery basket or whatever it is. Right. Um, so usually it's on some sort of table and you pay what you can or there might even be prices set up. Um, but the idea is to take only what you'll eat. Right. Right. This isn't to stock your refrigerator. This is to make make it so that. It's a communal event. Um, so I would say one to two meals worth okay. of food. Like something you'll eat in the next day or two. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Sharp Teeth asks, can I pull weeds from my garden neighbor's plot? Um, again, you should check with your community bylaws as far as that goes. Um, but I don't think that there's anything wrong with communicating that offer. Yes. Um, I think make the offer to say like, hey, if I'm down, if you see them working next to you or whatever, and you're like, hey, if I'm ever down here and I see some weeds growing, do you want me to pull them for you? Evanescence asks, if someone's plants need watering, are you allowed to water the plants for them? I think that would be another thing to ask, right? Actually, I would say um, water is a different thing. Because you don't know what their watering schedule is. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Ask. Oh, okay. Yes, say, yes. Like ask and say, hey, if I'm ever down here and they look thirsty, do you want me to water them? Because it might be that they come like every three days or every two days or whatever. And you just came on the off day. Right. And you might accidentally overwater them because they'd come the next day not knowing that you want all that stuff. Right. So it's very important. One of the great things about these neighborhood gardens is the idea of getting to know your neighbors again. Mm -hmm. Right. We've spent uh, several decades now um, becoming very insular. And I don't think that the pandemic really helped. Um, but community gardens are about community. This is if you if you don't want to participate in meeting your neighbors, that's fine. But if you do want to, the community garden is a great place to go to do it. Uh, this question is from Aaron. Are community gardens open for anyone to take from them? Or only the people who contributed to planting and caring for the garden? Usually, it is set up so that the people who plant and take care of it enjoy the fruits of their own labor. Or there's some sort of, like, community swap within the people so that, you know, you don't have everyone planting zucchini. And so there's just <laughs> zucchini as zucchini. far as the eye can see. Um, so usually, it's about that group of people. But every community garden is different. Usually, there is... It is encouraged for there to be some sort of like community board that posts the laws, maybe schedules, maybe the community like tenants and things like that. Who's who's there. Um, and so instead of just walking in and thinking that 
I, I need some food. I should take some food. Go and meet some of the people. Mm-hmm. Uh, see if you can find that that board or maybe they have a website or something and figure out what exactly the rules are. Uh, so this last question this is from Josh. And I want to preface it by actually reading the last line. Uh, this is in Canada, so it's legal. Josh asks, as a weed enthusiast, is it rude to plant seeds of my favorite life spice in the garden? Um. That, again, is something that if it is a community garden, not on your own private land, um, you need to pay attention to what their laws are. Mm-hmm. Um, there might be as far as like uh, wh- where marijuana is legal, it also is a little bit kind of invasive as far as like where it grows. It kind of takes over plots, as I understand. It is something that in the U.S. here grows kind of like rampant on hillsides and such. Um, So it's not difficult to grow. So it should be contained pretty easily. I mean, it should be contained and it easily can grow outside of that containment. But ask first. Ask first. Okay, that's going to do it for us. Thank you for listening. Uh, Thank you to Alex, a researcher, without whom we would not be able to make this show. Thank you to Rachel, our editor, without whom we would not be able to make this show. And thank you to you for listening. We could make this show without you, but why? Um, We want to say thank you to our Max Fun home. Thank you to everybody who supported us in this year's uh, Max Fun Drive. Uh, It means a lot to us, um, and we got a lot of great uh, tweets about supporting us and a lot of wonderful people coming out to be new upgrading and boosting members. And it just means the world to us. We couldn't do it without your support. Thank you so much. Um, thank you to Teresa for being my wife. Happy birthday this week, Teresa. Oh, thanks. I have my birthday on Tuesday. That's right. Um, and I love you and thank you for being married to me. Um, happy birthday. You're great. Thank you for hosting the show with me. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Um, let's see. What else do we say? We always say thank you to Brent, Brentle Floss Black, for writing our theme music, which is available as a ringtone where those are found. Thank you to Kayla M. Wassel for our Twitter thumbnail art. That's at SchmannersCast. And that's where we got these great listener questions. Also, I posted them on Instagram. So maybe you'll see me do it on Instagram, too. We'll start. We should start Schmanners Instagram. But. Nice. And thank you to Bruja Betty Pennant Photography for the cover picture of our fan-run Facebook group, Schmanners Fanners. If you love to give and get excellent advice from other fans, go ahead and join that group today. Thank you to Alex, again, for being at the ready for our email, which is schmannerscast at gmail.com. That's where we get a lot of our listener-suggested topics, so please send those in. Also, always send in your idioms. We love it. Uh, Say hi to Alex when you write an email. She reads everyone. Um, I would also like to say that if you would like some tips and ideas on how to start your own community garden, uh, you should go to the American Community Gardening Association website, and they have lots, I mean, literally pages and pages of how to um, do all the the legal stuff, what you should go about for um, creating like a tenant garden, things like that. So go and check that out if you're interested in your area. And that's going to do it for us. So join us again next week. No RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Manners, Schmanners. Get it.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.